What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. In 2022, there were only 15 days when police did not shoot and kill someone in the United States, according to a Washington Post database. Also, according to the Washington Post, this year, law enforcement has murdered 1,078 folks. That's an increase of 124 people since the last time I did a roundup. America has a policing problem, y'all. And we don't even know most of their names. There were no marches, rallies, rebellions, or hashtags for them. Most of their families grieved in silence and solitude. It is critical to understand that police murders are just the tip of an egregious iceberg of transgressions against our people. Law enforcement serves as a militarized occupying army in our communities and neighborhoods. They racially profile, sexually assault, and wrongfully incarcerate our folks. If we don't know what's happening, then we can't fight back. We can't adequately organize a response. So... Every week on Law & Disorder, we kick off our Thursdays with a roundup of news related to state violence. We hope this segment serves to expose, agitate, and build. This is the State Terror Roundup for the week of December 18th, 2023. In 2020, 30-year-old Angelo Quinto's mother called the police for help because her son was having a mental health crisis, but she, like so many other families in this situation, didn't get help. Instead, her son Angelo, who needed care and compassion, was met by violence. Antioch police officers pinned him down until he stopped breathing and he died three days later. But rather than placing the blame where it belongs squarely on the shoulders of the police officers who killed him, the coroner's office blamed Angelo's death on the junk science condition called excited delirium. Often you hear this term when cops murder people with tasers, you know, that less lethal weapon of theirs. Essentially, excited delirium means that a person in mental health crisis somehow has superhuman strength, usually supported by drugs or alcohol, and can die suddenly from the condition and not from what the police have done. Even at the time, that made no sense to Quinto's family, who were there and watched what the cops had done to their loved one, and that's even more true for them today. This year marked an escalated effort to take excited delirium off the table in official proceedings. In October, the American College of Emergency Physicians disavowed a key paper that gave it scientific legitimacy, and the College of American Pathologists said it should no longer be cited as a cause of death. That same month, California's governor, Gavin Newsom, signed the nation's first law to ban the term excited delirium as a diagnosis and cause of death on death certificates, autopsy reports, and police reports. After George Floyd's 2020 murder, which officers blamed on excited delirium as well, the American Medical Association and the American Psychiatric Association formally rejected it as a medical condition. Then came disavowals from the National Association of Medical Examiners and the Emergency Physicians and Pathologists groups this year. The moves by medical societies to renounce the term have already had tangible, albeit limited, effects. In November, Lexapol, a training organization used by thousands of public safety agencies in the U.S., reiterated its earlier move away from excited delirium. And the uh, Bay Area BART system has also pushed to remove excited delirium from the BART Police Department's policy manual after learning about Quinto's death in 2020. As the Quinto family seeks justice in the death of the 30-year-old Navy veteran, they are hopeful the new refutations of excited delirium will bolster their wrongful death lawsuit against the city of Antioch. 
On October 26th, the family cited both the new California law and the ACEP rebuke of the diagnosis when it asked a U.S. District Court judge to exclude witness testimony and evidence related to excited delirium, saying it cannot be accepted as a scientifically valid diagnosis having anything to do with the murder of Quinto. Advocates are calling for a re-examination of autopsies of those who died in law enforcement custody, and families are fighting to change death certificates that blamed excited delirium. But here's the thing. The law that Newsom signed cannot be applied retroactively. So... We will see what happens as we move forward. Source, Tribune News Service, the East Bay Times. On April 19th, 2021, Mario Gonzalez was killed by the Alameda Police Department. His crime was annoying his neighbors as he sat quietly in a park drinking a beer uh, next door to their house. The woman in the home stated she felt threatened by Mario's presence all the way from inside of her home. So they called the cops who then dogpiled Mario before taking him to jail where he died. The Alameda Police Department blamed his death on, wait for it, excited delirium. The family and their attorneys have long pushed back and this week in the largest settlement payout in Alameda County history, the family of Mario Gonzalez received an $11 million settlement in their civil suit. A couple things I want to say here. First is that the people of Alameda County are the ones footing that bill because it's taxpayer dollars that are utilized to pay for settlements when cops harm or kill. Perhaps if cops had to pay their own settlements, they would think twice before murdering our people, which is part of why we need to end qualified immunity. The second thing I'll say is that while settlements are important, they are not justice. The only way justice could ever be achieved in these cases is if the person stolen by the violence of the state could be returned to their loved ones, which we know they cannot. And in more settlement news, the Lansing Police Department is facing a $100 million lawsuit for the murder of Stephen Ruiz Romero on December 1st. According to Lansing Police, officers responded to a domestic assault situation where a witness told police that a woman was outside screaming that she had been shot. When police arrived, they found Romero standing next to a car with an open door in the driveway. The woman was sitting in the car. Police told Romero to show his hands and get on the ground when officials say he presented a gun, something they always say. This, they say, led to them engaging Romero. Shots were fired and Romero was struck by at least one of six bullets that flew in the air. Officers then approached the woman who originally called 911 and discovered, hey, she wasn't shot after all. After on-scene medical attention, Romero was taken to the hospital where he later died. Those two officers were placed on paid administrative leave. We refer to that as a paid vacation. There was a lawsuit filed on behalf of the Romero family. They did get body cam footage, but it was was not the uncut, and there were large portions of it that were blurred. The attorney for the family has said Mr. Romero was wrongfully killed by a police firing squad, and the Romero family needs answers and justice. Mr. Romero was complying with every single officer command, and rather than de-escalating the situation, the officers chose to kill a man in front of his family. The police violence must end. End quote. I agree, sir. Source, Tania Jordan and Samantha Sales of WILX 10 News. The D.C. Metropolitan Police Department is investigating an officer-involved shooting from Monday night. Police say that around 8.30 p.m., they noticed a man later identified as Corey Darnell Branch, 27, who they quote-unquote believed y'all know what I'm about to say, may have had a gun. Officers in the area attempted to stop Branch. However, he, they say, attempted to run from the scene. Running, again, means away from the police, not towards them, not presenting any danger. Ah, but they pursued him anyway. Then they say, they say, he displayed a gun. Note the word reportedly. He reportedly displayed a gun and police fired one round. Branch was struck in the lower extremities one time and was immediately arrested, according to the cops. He was also given medical attention. 
However, police say they don't believe his injuries are too serious. Whether or not the physical injuries are serious, the emotional injuries for sure are. Corey Darnell Branch will never be the same, and this is why I say that the most egregious forms of state terror are when they kill us, but it shows up in so many ways, and in so many instances, this violence is both predicated and then justified by the law enforcement saying that they thought someone had a gun, or perhaps they were a danger, only to learn later that really they were only black or brown or indigenous or poor or Cree, queer and having the audacity to breathe in public. Source, source Evan Pascal, ABC7 News. Attorney General Rob Bonta announced yesterday that he will not be pursuing charges against Vallejo police officer Jarrett Tan, who murdered Sean Monterosa in 2020 outside of a convenience store in Vallejo. According to the AG, there, quote-unquote, isn't sufficient evidence for criminal charges. Let me just refresh your memory here, y'all. Jarrett Tan shot Sean Monterosa in the back of the head with a high-powered rifle through the windshield of an unmarked police truck. That not only violates police police policy and procedure, it most certainly also violates the law. Not only that, the Vallejo PD knew they had done something wrong, so much so that when the sisters, the Monterosa sisters, tried to get information about their brother, they were bounced around from person to person and agency to institution for hours upon hours upon hours. Then, the Vallejo Police Association knowingly destroyed evidence by getting rid of the windshield through which Tan fired his fatal shots into the back of Sean Monterosa's head. Tan would say that he thought Sean was in a crouching stance with a gun pointed in the direction. Hmm. Turns out he had a roofing hammer tucked in his back pocket, no firearm, and no crouching stance. Tan and the cops with him lied to cover up what I believe, what the sisters believe, and what the community believes to be an intentional and cold-blooded murder. Tan's behavior was so far out of line that the findings from an outside investigation agency saw him fired from the most corrupt police department in Northern California. Now, of course, because they are the most corrupt police department, in Northern California. He got his job back through inside arbitration, but you see my point here. Listeners should also note that this is the third time that Tan has fired his weapon at a civilian while on duty, though Monterosa is the first fatality. What we know, those of us who do this work from the data, is that cops who kill have either killed before and or will definitely kill again. Bonta's report went on to say, quote, the law is clear that an officer's actions may not be viewed with the benefit of hindsight. Instead, circumstances should be viewed as they appear to the officer at the time, taking into account that officers may be forced to make quick judgments about using deadly force, end quote. I want to go back to this. Circumstances should be viewed as they appeared to the officer at the time. Well, Tom said that what he appeared to be seeing was a whole grown man in a crouching stance pointing a gun at him. That was then proven to not possibly be true. So he was either hallucinating or he's lying. This excuse, however, is the same justification that the state has been utilizing to say it's okay to kill us. For decades upon decades upon decades. I'll also digress here to say that Bonta secured an endorsement from me with a promise to prosecute these cases. The Monterosa sisters are not the only APTP families he has let down and he should expect to be hearing from us in mass soon. Source, mostly my own commentary, but you all should check out the Vallejo Sun for excellent reporting on this story and on the Vallejo Police Department as a whole. Shout out to Scott Morris and the team over there. 
This has been the State Terror Roundup for the week of December 18th, 2023. State Terror Roundup soundtrack provided by Coffee Brown, an Oakland musician, singer, and songwriter who's been a force in the Bay Area hip-hop and soul scene since the early 1990s. You can check her out at kofybrown.com and her website and socials are linked from our site at kpfa.org. Shout out to my producer, Jesse Strauss, for helping me curate the content for this segment. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.